You are listening to The Mallory Report, a live radio show that ventures into the mysteries of life, as well as the hot topics of the day, either political or business. I want to welcome everybody to The Mallory Report. I hope, I hope you're all doing well. I know it's been a wild couple months, couple weeks, year. I don't know anymore. It seems like yesterday I was just doing a show and it's been a week. So I don't know anymore what is going on. But before I forget, we got to go over to um, 86 The Struggle, which is Andrew, or, yeah, Andrew Gould's site. We're helping restaurant workers. Uh, I've seen all the traffic that's come from my site to him. I hope it's all paying off for him. I'm glad you guys are taking an interest in that, supporting these restaurant workers, supporting him. Uh, through this, they've raised over $300,000, and he's paid it all out, and he's raising more. He wants to raise a million dollars, and I think, well, I know us, as the, as my report listeners, probably aren't going to get him there. I have big goals for this month, but, you know, but I just want you to go over and check it out, and um, worst case, go order some takeout from a restaurant that you haven't been to in a while, because we got to keep that industry alive. But, not exactly why we're here tonight, but, well, you'll see the segue here in a minute. I want to welcome... I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw it this way. I don't even I, performer. Well, are you still wrestling? I shouldn't say former if you're still wrestling. I am still wrestling. You know, and we we could get into that. I've uh, never really stopped. But unless you were living in northern New Jersey, probably within a half hour to an hour radius of my home, you probably haven't seen me in quite some time. So I. I WCW Crowbar. I'm not gonna. I, if if you need to know who he is, you need to go to Google and find out. Is that fair? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've sure. been every you've been everywhere, man. We'll get into that through the course of this. But how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on, man. So before all my traditional listeners say, "Oh, a wrestler," stay with us because this story. We're gonna get some places that you. We're not gonna talk specific matches. We're gonna kind of build the career, and this guy works. And I mean, works a lot. So we're going to get into how he manages all that. So first, are you insane? <laughs> uh, no, not uh, well. That's all relative. Some people may say so. I, uh, I think I'm insane. Possibly that I take on a, a lot of things. Some people tend to call me a workaholic, but uh, I, I engage in a lot of things that I have that I have a passion for and that I enjoy. So uh, uh, some people think that I set a schedule for myself that is insane, but no, uh, no, nah, nah, I don't think so. It's just normal to me. <laughs> I know. I kind of keep, I kind of have that same, uh, what is it? Just keep moving every day until you Gotta. just can't move it anymore. So I understand that. So that's why I appreciate what you're doing. So let's, let's, let's go back though. Take me back to what made you want to become a wrestler way back in the day. Uh, well, I I remember my earliest memories being in my house with my brother that was 10 years older than me. My dad, both wrestling fans. And we lived in a little Cape Cod in a small town in New Jersey. And I would remember them. At that time, wrestling was on late at night. And I would remember them staying up to watch it. And my bedroom was kind of diagonal from the living room. So they would, I would be put to bed and I would slowly get out of the covers and kind of squirm towards the foot of the bed where I could see diagonally into the living room. And I would watch it from that angle, even though I wasn't supposed to be up. So that was my earliest memories of sneak watching wrestling. And as I, I got older and I was allowed to stay up more and more, and there was more Saturday morning wrestling here or there, I just became a huge fan and it, it just grew on from there. But for for the people out there who aren't wrestling nerds, wrestling has evolved quite a bit since those days. So it very had to, much so. Yeah, as I say, so the original draw was what because it wasn't Flash and Pyro and guys. I mean, it was just the actual sport that drew you. You had guys walking out of a curtain, maybe, or even an, an arena door, and uh, you had some smoky arena lighting you had some cool characters a lot of interviews but it you know everything that's going on today is awesome but it was just bare bones wrestling athleticism some some cool characters and those guys somehow just managed to suck me in as as a kid and it was uh i, I was captivated by what i watched 
So let's fast forward the tape a little bit. So you've been fat, you've been a fan for a while. You probably go and see them in person a little bit, and then you decide to actually do it. Absolutely. How, how, how did that how did that transition start? As I'm getting older and older, I'm becoming a bigger and bigger fan, and it and it gets to the point where I'm starting to realize when I start hitting 13, 14, being a fan's not enough. That I might want to do this, and uh, it's I had no idea on how to do it. At at that time, you would buy the wrestling magazines. You would see an occasional article about the Monster Factory, uh, but there weren't a lot of schools. Now there are schools all over the place. If you want to find a wrestling school, you can find one today. They were few far in between, and they were often far away. Uh, I, I, I can't get into the whole particulars, but through a friend of a friend, uh, there was a guy that owned, knew a guy that owned a bicycle shop, one town over from me. Uh, the guy's name was Tom Rumsby, an independent promoter. And this friend of a friend knew him and he somehow caught wind that he was planning on opening up a wrestling school in about a year or a year and a half with Iron Mike Sharp. And he shared this with me and I was probably 15 and a half, maybe 16 at the time. I walked about a mile and a half, two miles to this bicycle shop, met with the guy. He told me his plans that he was going to open up a school with Mike Sharp. Uh, and I left there knowing that that was going to be, that, that was going to happen. I was going to find a way to make that happen. So, uh, I had already worked as a teenager mowing lawns here, here or there. I started doing more lawn mowing accounts. I, I would, this was before I could drive. So I would walk around the neighborhood with my lawnmower and the weed whacker over my shoulder and I would do lawns. And I also that summer picked up a job in a local catering hall and I worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday, double shifts. And I earned the money that I would need to go to Iron Mike Sharp's wrestling school. And when I, just before my 17th birthday, I started out there. Okay, so I actually had Iron Mike Sharp on my notes because I yeah. told a couple of my listeners I had you on or going to have you on the night, especially, you know, the the type of people I said that this show wouldn't be geared to. But they wanted me to ask you about him because he has some interesting stories floating around the room. It's all true. <laughs> <laughs> Great guy. It's all true. <laughs> Go ahead. Ask away. I was going to say, do you have one in particular that uh, stands out to you, well, that happened to you or around you? Well, at the time, as a new student, I didn't think twice about it. But now if you go to wrestling school, you usually wear maybe shorts or sweats and, and a T-shirt, maybe some long tights with a T-shirt or, or a tank top. Mike trained us, and he came out to train. Like he was going out there for the first match at the garden, black trunks, black boots. Occasionally he wouldn't, but he usually had the forearm brace on and he oiled up and he trained us like he was having a match at the garden. He wore his full gear when he trained us. And now that seems strange at the time. I didn't think twice about it because that's, that was the only Mike Sharp that I knew from the television and shows and stuff like that. But now I'm like, wow, Mike was really, into his stuff, you know. Well, that sounds like a good match for you, though, because you sound like that intense young man who wants to be who wants to be in there, mixing up with him. Sure. Yep. Yep. And uh, just meticulously neat. He had a big hockey bag with all of his stuff in it: tights, underwear, toiletries, boots, whatever. But inside that hockey bag were a plethora of giant Ziploc bags. And each thing was, everything had its own spot inside of a bag, inside of the big bag. So it was almost like one of those r Russian egg dolls. He would open up his bag, and then inside the bag was a series of smaller bags and smaller bags, and everything was ultra-organized. Man, I, I am not that guy. No, I'm lucky to get me stuff. neither, not even. I'm yeah. lucky to get stuff in a bag. <laughs> yeah. I wish I was. I wish I could be more organized. Yeah. As I look at my desk, I mean, I, I seriously wish that I, I could be more organized. So you go. Hey, they this... say geniuses, uh, geniuses are messy. They say so. 
You know, I don't feel bad. I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> so, okay, so you 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 do, you do the school, and then then where do you end up? Where, where does this road take you? Uh, I start doing shows at his school, and at that time, it's just amazing. You know, like I'm actually doing a wrestling show, and I have the VHS tapes here, and I'll I'll pop them in, and I I was so bad. We were all so bad because, and the matches would go on for like. 20, 25 minutes because everybody would, would do a match and everybody would want to try out all the stuff that they learned. So you had a bunch of matches that looked almost identical and just guys wearing different outfits. But uh, a, a cool thing that I can notice at that time, my first match and my first, I, I guess we call it feud for the Iron Mike Sharp School fans was against Big John the Lumberjack, a.k.a. Jerry Toot, who later became known as The Wall in WCW and Malice in TNA. So it was kind of cool that we started there together, and then fast forward years later, we're having this feud on WCW, and he's throwing me off sides of trons and through announce tables and all this stuff. So it, it, it really was a cool full-circle moment where we started out at that school horrible wrestlers doing horrible matches <laughs> and we ended up somehow in one of the biggest companies in the world working against each other and we were great friends so it was as i said a full circle moment very sentimental really really cool and i'll never forget that you know that's kind of you know that was happens at first at mike sharps and then slowly we start to break out and get real independent shows yeah, I was gonna say. So then you start climbing the proverbial ladder, but I don't. I don't know if it's a ladder as much as a, I'm thinking. As I'm saying it is, it's kind of a bottom, and then there's the brands across the top that most people know. Sure. Yep, I mean, I we guess were, uh, I, I guess there's smaller companies. There's mid-range people in there, though. I guess at right? at at that time there were a, a handful of really big independent companies in the Northeast where they would draw between six and a thousand per show. And they would have name guys on there and uh, they, they would run regularly. Uh, and we always tried to get on those shows. And when we were first breaking in, there would be a bunch of new guys, bunch of students. We'd all pile in a car, whosoever it was, we'd all pitch in for gas. And we would all show up at these shows, whether we booked or not. And hoping for an opportunity to get a preliminary match or if somebody got injured or they got caught in traffic or they couldn't make it to the shows that we would be available uh, to get on that show. And if not that, at, at the very least, get to meet the promoter, meet the other wrestlers, hand them your eight by tens. At that time, that's what you did. You brought your eight by everybody had their eight by tens. And I, I was just sitting here thinking about that as you're going around. How how are you marketing this? How is this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all it's eight all by putting, Go ahead. Eight it's by, eight by tens and uh, videotapes. And if you wanted a good videotape, you had to invest in two VCRs and learn how to splice your footage. You know, uh, with a VCR. So you know they were very basic, rough cut tapes, and uh, we would bring those around in eight by tens. So when was the first, I'm going to use the big air quotes here, apologize, break sure. in, your, in your wrestling career? Uh, my first break was when I, uh, Dennis Carluzzo put me in the NWA heavyweight tournament uh, when, when he ran that. And I worked with Tracy Smothers in the first round. Also around that time, uh, Dennis took a liking me very much and uh around that time i got to work with the likes of chris candido al snow uh and and then eventually sabu and uh i always say i always thank the guy sabu led a young kid i i was probably 19 or 20 at the time he let me shine he let me do all this wild stuff that i had been practicing we had a series of, of a few like really wild matches for that time, for that era. And uh, through those matches, they caught wind of me at 
WCW and Kevin Sullivan brought me in to work with Conan on Nitro. And that was a really first big break. Yeah, I was going to say, you mentioned Al Snow and Sabu. Now, see, I'm from, I, I told you this, I'm from Western Pennsylvania. So you you mentioned sure. this, this is where I, I, this gets a little fun for me. Barely. No, I'm just kidding. It actually was because back in the day, we used to get those ECW shows. Sure. Like at midnight on, <laughs> right? Yeah. On Saturday yep. nights. So, Absolutely. I mean. That that's where I mean I enjoy I mean those in my mind now you you can tell me if I'm wrong but those ECW shows from like ninety five to two thousand were pretty good like they were coming pretty hard and that was right about I mean the Monday Night War started in there too but I those ECW shows felt a lot cleaner and I mean not necessarily cleaner because there was blood everywhere um, maybe that's yeah. not the best way to describe this but better produced like the for actual yeah. wrestling content. Absolutely. There was something very special about them. And, uh, you know, I always say that it's not fashionable in pro wrestling to admit that you're a huge fan of the game. Uh, I got into pro wrestling because I was a huge fan. And I'll say to this day, I'm probably the biggest fan going of all kinds of different wrestling and stuff like that. But ECW at that time, was putting on a, a product that although I was involved in the business, I, I was a fan. I made it a point to catch their show, not as, not just as a professional to stay proficient with a style that was happening and what was going on and what moves talents did. But I stayed, uh, I stayed watching it because I was a huge fan of the style, the product, uh, the cutting edge nature of it. Uh, and that right from the get go sucked me right in as well. So let's jump off this this back train, and we'll get back to it. German Town Runner has a question for you that I want to ask because it's sure. interesting and it ties right to where we're at. Uh, will professional wrestling continue to grow new fans and internationally? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I I see wrestling now. It's uh, there's so many genres. You know, if you go through the independents. Uh, you got your GCWs, you, you got your, your deathmatch stuff. Uh, there's still a handful of family friendly crowds. You got ring of honor doing their more pure wrestling. Uh, you got AEW there doing their style, WWE doing their style. I, and they all have their fans. They all have their fans that are passionate about it and check it out. Uh, I, I don't know if you're ever going to get that kind of product where it's just uh a massive crossover into pop culture where every, everybody is into it the way it was i would love to see it happen but i i don't think it needs to happen if if it happened it would be fantastic i think it'd be great for wrestling if we had that crossover pop culture everybody's watching wrestling everybody is enthusiastic everybody's passionate about it that would be awesome but even if it doesn't i think each genre if you will of wrestling will always have its core fan base they'll always have those fans that will watch it and and uh they'll always exist and they'll always do well or okay enough to be profitable uh you don't need to have while it's great to shoot for i'm sure a crossover pop culture product because that's going to bring more viewers more merchandise more everything else you could still have a profitable sustainable business with a smaller crowd i think so much pressure so much emphasis is put on trying to get wrestling back to where it was where we had that big boom and again that would be awesome uh whether it happens or not who knows but it doesn't need to get there you could still have a profitable, sustainable product without reaching those numbers. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm sitting here thinking, is that why the WWE is kind of slipping because they try too hard to bring up the next uh, Steve Austin or Rock or whoever? Like it just feels like they're always trying to force somebody to be that next one. And I'm a realist too. That may not happen for another five, ten, fifteen years. It may never happen again, but it doesn't mean you can't have a financially successful 
product, uh, a sustainable product that keeps the networks ha- happy, gets your talent paid, and it makes your shareholders happy or, or if it's a privately owned company is still, you know, uh, profitable for you. Does that make sense or not? Yeah, it makes plenty of sense because, I mean, profitable is profitable for a business. I mean. Sure. Yeah. So at what point, what point do you pick up the actual career though in this process? When do you start becoming a physical therapy? Physical therapy. So, uh, real funny story. So I, it, it was my, I think the end of my junior year, I had my meeting with my high school guidance counselor and she goes, Chris, what do you see, see yourself doing? What do you want to do? I go, well, I want to wrestle professionally and I want to be a physical therapist. This lady looked at me like I had about five heads and <laughs> worms crawling out of my ears. I can imagine. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. yeah. And, so- uh, Okay, and uh, I understand that look that she gave me because I would probably, I, I understand it. It's very far-fetched, but I've always been focused. I've always been driven and I, I, I like having goals. I like having things to shoot for. Uh, I'm, I'm the kind of, per- I've had people tell me that I can't do things my entire life. Uh, and I always use that as fuel. So I, I, went to school at, at that time. And even now to this day, physical therapy school is extremely competitive to get into. Uh, I, I went to Kane university in New Jersey and, uh, you went to the school, but in order to get accepted into the program, uh, you had to apply for that major. You actually had to apply for the major, the year that I applied, they got like 2000 and, something app applications and they accepted 32 and I just happened to make it in there. Uh, I, I basically went to school during the week. I lifted weights at night. I watched wrestling often. I've studied wrestling often and I wrestled independence on the weekends and I had no social life. Uh, I was all in pursuing two things that I wanted uh, more than and, and anything on the planet. And uh, I, I was able to sacrifice with the social life and all the, with the fun things that a, a lot of college age, you know, kids have at that time, just because I wanted these two things that badly. Now you'll have to forgive this question, but I, I mean, we were just talking about ECW a few minutes ago, and that was kind of extreme. And you're talking about being a physical therapist, and I could see these paths crossing for obvious reasons. But <laughs> because that, it, I mean, wrestling is not an easy sport on the body. I guess is where I'm headed. No. <laughs> no. Go ahead. Definitely, the background in physical therapy has enabled me to nip a lot of problems in the bud that, you know, and it's enabled me to have this longevity, you know, that along with, uh, once WCW ended, uh, I made the conscientious decision that, uh, I saw the landscape. I had a few dark matches for WWE, got a great reaction. I'm not a a delusional guy. (laughs) I got to, Wrestle at the Garden against El Gran Apollo got a great reaction, and there were many people, many insiders saying this guy's definitely going to get signed, and it just didn't happen. Uh, and at that time, all ECW was bought by WWE, WCW bought by WWE, uh, and there was a logjam of just talent trying to get up there. And I just had the foresight to see that the likelihood of getting in that door with all this talent trying to get in that little opening wasn't going to happen. So I transitioned into normal life and, uh, I made the conscientious with decision that I was going to be a full-time physical therapist. I was still going to continue to wrestle on weekends locally because I freaking love this stuff still. And I still do. And, uh, but as a result of that, I was wrestling, twice a month, maybe three times a month. Whereas there were a lot of guys 
trying to get noticed, trying to get through, get noticed to be signed by, by WWE, and they were working Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sometimes double shots every single week. And when you do stuff like that, uh, your body takes a lot of wear and tear. I wrestled enough to quench my thirst for, for something that I was very passionate in. I still wrestled hard. I still wrestled a few times a month, but I assumed a wrestling schedule that was a lot less than most others. So I, I've got to ask, and I know you, this probably did happen, but I'm going to ask. So you got settled in, living the normal life, and did any opportunities come and knock, and that made you at least try to have that thought of maybe doing it again, full run? Oh, yeah. Well, I've been doing it the whole time, but uh, when TNA started, I, I was actually part of the first two or three pay-per-views. Uh, they had me in there as... A, a member of James Mitchell's new church. It was me, Malice, Slash, and uh, I. I thought we had a pretty cool look. Uh, we had a real funky look there going. Uh, we looked evil. We looked mean. Uh, but at that time, they were running out of Nashville, and I had gotten a call, and I, I was told we really need you to move move down here if you want to be part of the company. We can't afford to fly in. And at, at that time, I knew they were flying in other talents. And it kind of told me that I'm not as valuable to the company if they're not willing to fly me in. Uh, if I was single and I had nothing tying me down, I might have moved down there. Oh, but you would have. No, no, don't even say might have. But <laughs> if you were a single time, guy, you would have been there. That, but <laughs> at that time, I, I was engaged. I had just purchased a house. I just got a job as a administrator for a huge healthcare company uh, called health South at the time. Uh, it was called health health South. And I, I described that moment to a lot of people. That was my first real tough, for lack of a better word, adult decision where Chris Ford, who loves wrestling, I love performing, I love getting out there. I saw an opportunity of a new growing company with TNA, but I also saw that my value with them may not have been what I thought it should be. I had to make the adult decision and say, I can't do that. I have a house. I'm getting married. I have a good job here, uh, and I can't go. And it was a tough decision to make. But it's a decision that I'm happy that I made, and in hindsight, it was the right decision. Well, yeah, I think I think I think everything's turned out okay for you so far. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thank God. Yes. So uh, you mentioned lifting weights earlier, and I, I got another question earlier from one where actually Chris, the guy who does my show notes, I should give him mad credit. He puts up sure. listening to this the show all the time, so he needs some credit. Um, <laughs> I know. Um, he wants me to ask you about what type of workout routine you do because he's wondering about like high endurance, like a football player, or more bodybuilding to you know the overall conditioning versus that. And he also wanted me to ask you if you've done any kind of like gymnastics aerial training in there. Gotcha. So uh, I use the tagline these days: "Timeless." <laughs> yes. uh, it takes worse to do the timeless thing uh, as you get older you have more wear and tear on your joints on your body and i've morphed my workout over the years to accommodate and any kinds of aches or pains or anything else that i may have acquired from wrestling or just the natural age aging process uh i'm 46 i still work out hard but i work out smart uh I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan at any age of high impact, uh, explosive weights. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain on an interview, but force is mass times acceleration. Uh, the mass is always going to be the same. It's the weight you're lifting, be it five pounds, 10 pounds, 15 pounds. If you lift that weight in a slow fashion, you move from, from point A to point B. If you add explosion, if you add speed, that's acceleration. 
you increase the force and the force doesn't go to your muscle fibers. It's going to your tendons. And I think that's why we have so many issues with guys with tendonitis or tendon ruptures, ripping things off, off with the bone, a, a huge, huge. And I'm not just saying this cause he's, uh, he's one of my favorite guys, a huge part of my wellness and well-being since about, I'm trying to think when it was maybe 2005 or six is DDP yoga. Uh, I got to this when it was called YRG yoga for regular guys and girls. And uh, I, I utilize that for flexibility. I uh, do a lot of low impact cardio. I still do uh, weights, but I do slow controlled repetitions. I avoid explosive stuff. That being said, I am. I try to be explosive when I wrestle, and I try to go all out when I wrestle. So I try to minimize my wear and tear and save all the wear and tear for ring time. You know what I mean? And during my regular daily workouts, I try to get the job done. I try to get the physical benefit without the collateral damage that could come of uh, come from working out improperly that's funny that you mentioned it because you mentioned these tinnitus and these are not tinnitus <laughs> tendonitis tendonitis is a whole different problem um i i see the clip of tiger woods saying the somebody asked him what the one regret of his career was he said he ran too much and that broke yep. his body wear, down wear and tear it's it's all impact you know it's i I, I explained it to my patients i'm, I'm sorry When you run, when you jog, there's a clear cardiovascular benefit. You're working your heart, your lungs, you're working your cardiovascular system. Undeniable. That's great. But while you're doing that, the collateral damage is on your bones and joints. Uh, So while you're benefiting yourself with the running, with the jogging, you're putting a lot of wear and tear on your ankles, your knees, your hips, your spine. Uh, I choose for my cardio, I ride a stationary bike, but I ride it at a very high intensity so that there, uh, so there's no impact, but I'm, I'm also not doing a leisurely ride. I'm grinding out some hard revolutions at a high level, but I'm saving my body that wear and tear of the pounding on concrete or on a track or on grass, whatever. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. So I, I, you mentioned DDP, and I'm not a big name dropper. You can trust me. You can drop all the names you want, but I seen the uh, documentary. What was the name of it? With him and Jake Roberts about the yep. yoga and how it changed. I mean, literally changed their lives, and that's phenomenal. I mean, to think about how something that kind of got uh, what's that misbranded? I guess is the easiest way to put that has worked so well for them. Sure. It, it is and has been a regular part of my training regimen for almost 20 years now. And whenever I speak to him or text him or I am him, whatever, I always let him know. I go, I'm, a, I'm able to do the things that I'm able to do largely in part because of your program. It's fantastic. It's, it's a safe program. It's low impact and it's, and, and it's, one of my regular go-tos weekly, multiple times a week. Uh, it's a huge part of being timeless. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've mentioned that. Did, did you, you sent me a video the other day. Have you posted that yet? I should know this. But Which one? Uh, whichever one you sent uh, the, me. Did you post that yet? I believe I have. Uh, if, if it was one with the clips and all the, yeah, yeah. the interviews, there's, you, you know, you were up around, uh, I, I think something like 16,000 views, which for some that's not a big deal, but for somebody like me, very late to the Twitter game, extremely late to the Twitter game, it's kind of cool. So No, no, let's, let's, let's back up the boat for a minute because you sent me this a couple days before you posted it and you asked my thoughts of it. And I watched it and sure. I'm blown away. It's it's well, really well done. And then I asked who did that for you because I'm always looking because I'm, it's hard when you're doing audio to do, you know, convert that to video and make something pop. Sure. 
and you said you did it. And I, I mean, I guess yeah. now hearing <laughs> you going back to the, the VHS days, VCR days, I, it makes a little sense, but the, the gap of technology, I mean, have you always had the passion to, I mean, I guess you've always had to kind of sell yourself. Uh, I always had to sell myself. Uh, what happened there, and again, to, to bring up Dallas, if you read his his book, Positively Page, and I actually used this quote last night when I was, uh, he he actually retweeted it and he commented on the video and, and he said, great job, you did a lot of good work. I said, well, during COVID, I learned a new skill. I learned a new trade. Uh, I turned a negative into a positive, and that's one of his sayings. Uh, there's a great group around New Jersey called GoPro Wrestling. They do a lot of filming for a lot of the wrestlers. They filmed some of the footage, uh, the vignette, footage from that clip they do phenomenal work they're great guys they're easily accessible but if you know my personality i might come up with an idea and i gotta run with it and i and and i can't wait for let's set up this meeting and let's film this let's film this it's great to have that and they do awesome awesome work but i came up with this whole timeless character idea during lockdown during quarantine whatever you want to call it and i would come up with an idea and i had to act on it immediately uh so i learned with the video uh editing on an app uh i i had a crash course tutorial from uh twitter madman actually social media madman Robert Frank, the guy that does the gym videos, he's hysterical. He's a New Jersey guy, but he uh, gave me a crash course in editing over the phone. Took time out of his schedule to teach me, and then I got the basics from him, and I just put in a lot of time, and I learned it in my spare time. If I had a, a few minutes here or there, I would toy around with this. I learned a lot of my editing on on the toilet i hate to say you have spare time when you're sitting there and and i i'll bring up the editing app and say let me see what i could do here and uh fast forward to last week and that's probably the most involved piece that i've made so far well from the shitter to sixteen thousand. exactly <laughs> no but that, that's I mean, hell of a book title isn't it yeah i was gonna say you you could have that one uh <laughs> no it i mean but that i mean i get uh, you know people we i've been kind of trying to figure out what this covid means for individual people and you just hit it you learned how to edit videos and you're doing great things story like there's a lot of things that while we all complain about the mask and all these other things there are finite moments for some people not everybody's having these opportunities to take advantage of it so that's interesting to, to hear that you did and it it, it was work, but as I said before, huge fan of this, very passionate about this business, love all aspects of it. So it was putting in work, but it was, it was work involving something that I loved and that as I learned the skill more and more, I, I was able to transfer that skill into these videos that I was able to communicate and participate in this great business when there wasn't a lot of rustling going on so it was a really great thing you turn a negative into a positive you have to okay so you got to settle a bet for me go ahead I'm, wa I'm waving hello to captain canada in my chat room because he he put this out there we have a All little right, wager captain canada. we have a little okay. wager so who who is the toughest man in wrestling uh i gotta go with mang just from what i've heard what i've seen i'd say mang I'm sorry. What'd you say? You didn't say. You didn't. <laughs> that's what he said. Dang it! No, I should. I should have told you that beforehand and set and you up. Also, too, if if he likes you, I mean, he's he's always been super, super great to me, and uh, just a super sweetheart of a guy. But uh, just going by the stories I hear, I wouldn't want to piss him off. So, I've I've like I said, I I figured you would go uh, like a Mick Foley or Terry Funk on me. Go old school. 
What'd you say? I'm sorry. I figured you'd go Mick Foley or Terry Funk or somebody old school. Uh, I, I don't know if we were talking like real fights or something like that. Well, no, I, mean, I, I, well... I asked the question. That's fine. I, I, okay. I mean, that's how I, that's how the question. Oh, was Mick told. Foley, Terry Funk, super, super tough. But if, if I'm in a real fight, I probably want Meng on my side before anybody else. Yeah, I know. And I, I've, I've got the, I told you so in my chat room. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, who, who, I mean, you've, you've worked all, I mean, a bunch of people, but is there somebody out there that you wish you had the chance to have worked with or would work with now? That you I, I, I always say, uh, they they were running the program where David Flair was a f- fighting against Rick, and I was David's lackey or sidekick at at that, at the time. So building up to the fight between David and Rick, I'm saying, okay, usually somewhere in here there's going to be Rick against the sidekick, and Rick's going to go up, and David will end up running in and beating up Rick. I wish I would have gotten that match with Ric Flair. It would have been an incredible experience, but it just wasn't in the cards. We met in like some six-man tag. It was me, David, and I believe Jeff Jarrett uh, with Rick and I think Kevin Nash and Arn, but it's, uh, I never got that one-on-one, and I think that would have been mind-blowing to say it was like working Terry Funk at Starcade was a dream come true and even surreal to this day. Crazy. Cool. But uh, ha- having a one-on-one match with Rick would have been incredible. So I, I, I guess I got a question here because just kind of throwing this out there for people that may not know. When we see these these ongoing storylines week to week on TV, it all makes sense. But if you're going to a local small show, how do we develop that story or have some kind of story or any kind of because if two people just show up and wrestle, I mean, I know that does happen, but it's hard for the, I mean, how do we get the crowd on one guy's side or the other? I guess is my question. Meaning independent shows, correct? Yeah. Yeah. The smaller shows. It's really hard. Uh, you have to do a lot with body language, how you interact with the crowd. If, if you have a quote unquote smart crowd that are up on all of the characters, they kind of know before, you get there, what their shtick is. But uh, I had run about seven shows uh, in and around my hometown a few years ago. Uh, all fundraisers, family entertainment type shows. And it was a lot of talent that the kids didn't know, that the fans didn't know. Uh, so you, you had to go out there. Some of the heels did mic work if uh heels would walk down and as the kids went to shake shake their hand they would pull their arm away uh you had to get into the old school body language of who's who if you're doing more of a pure show or a more of a hardcore type of show and the fans don't know you uh i i guess it would be your, your mic work your interactions with the crowd uh it's really, really tough without the benefit of having established characters from TV or something like that. Uh, but, you know, there's always the small, subtle things you could do. The heel usually, usually comes out first. The baby face usually comes out second. Not all, always not set in stone. But that's, you know, fans are kind of trained that way. Uh, and... Yeah, it's just interaction. It's 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 really tough on an independent, uh, especially if you have a crowd that's not familiar with the personalities. Yeah, I was gonna say because I mean they're selling yourself, but then they're selling yourself in that moment has to be difficult. And sure, and it also what depends on what the crowd. If you have a smarter crowd, you know, to, to, let's use that term, they're not going to want to see all the yay and boo and. Uh, you know, heels yelling at them for no reason, stuff like that. They're going to have a limited attention span for that, where you may have more success with those techniques if it's a family crowd with kids that are going to interact with you when you go back and forth. You got to know your audience and who's out there. And, uh, 
you, you know, kids seem to go more for the interaction, the one-on-one, the personality from the ring to the audience, where the smarter crowds are just there for the action and they want to see the, uh, you know, high spots and action and exciting stuff. It's just, in it's, my it, opinion, of course. Oh, well, yeah. Well, that's I, I'm, you're the only one I'm asking, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Yeah. Well, at least tonight. Um, no, it, it has to be. But see, I, I'm just fascinated by. Here we are, 45 minutes into this, which means we have 15. Oh, we have only 15 minutes left. Um, man, this went fast. But I'm sitting here thinking. We talked about selling yourself early, selling yourself in the middle, not in a bad way, but. And selling yourself at the, at the end, and all the marketing and all this stuff. How much? I mean, you got the physical side of this and the, the marketing side of this, but I'm sure that's closer to fifty fifty than I'm actually thinking it should be. As far as what you lost me, I'm sorry. Well, as as you go through the years, like how much time have you spent trying to sell yourself and get booked versus actually just working out and just doing the events? There's way more getting out there and trying to get the next job for me personally uh you know i i've worked over the past 20 or so years as i've said uh for a handful of independent groups mostly in northern new jersey uh if you don't live in northern new jersey a lot of people probably assume that i i retired or i died or i dropped off the face of the earth uh, just because I, I, I was involved in uh, opening a business, running a business, getting that business off the ground and making, making it successful while simultaneously having two kids and trying to be a, a present dad and a good husband. And my wife wrestles as well. That's how we met. It's kind of cool. Uh, but we stayed very local uh we we found a way to do what we love in a way that enabled us to get done the things we needed to get done in real life uh so there wasn't a lot of marketing going on these past 20 years it was just me and my wife two big kids as we call ourselves doing something we friggin love and very locally and just recently now the uh we've had the business for a while it's on very secure ground we have a great following a great uh patient population our kids are a little older and we've kind of played around with this eyes wide shutty timeless thing for a few years and uh covid hits and i decide to play around more with it so uh, through social media, which we didn't have in, in the past or wouldn't have as much, uh, it's enabled me to market us better. And it enabled, it, it enables me to market myself, uh, while I'm on the toilet. So I actually have time to market myself. Where back in the day, you would make phone calls and leave messages and this and that, and it was a lot harder. Uh, now you can text, now you can post videos. It's, it's really a cool, evolution of how to market yourself how to get yourself out there if that makes sense you know i I guess as you were saying that social media has helped those things that you're trying to set up before a show too because you can reach like you can reach the fans before the show or some of the fans that follow it can see what you're about and i think that's a huge help Uh, you sound like the type of guy that liked handling the mic any chance any chance you got is that true? <laughs> uh, actually, very interesting story. I grew up, and uh, I've spoken about it a lot recently. I grew up, I was an overweight uh, kid that very, was very socially awkward with a very, very bad speech problem. I couldn't get out a word left or right, and uh, I usually stayed silent because I was embarrassed to try to talk. Uh, as I got older and got involved with pro wrestling, it instilled a confidence in me, uh, to speak like I do. And, uh, I, I got a little taste of talking with crowbar, although it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a spot for the character to be a talker. It was more, it was more of a crazy, funny kind of character like that. And just recently I started doing these 
timeless promos. And I get people from town that say, oh, my God, I can't believe that you're talking up there, blah, blah, blah. Uh, or I get people in the business that say, uh, I've never heard you cut a promo. I have no idea that you were able to do that. And I was just never given the chance or it just wasn't my spot to do that. Uh, so it's really an empowering thing. And it's really cool to come from that very uh, shy kid that kept very, very quiet to someone you can't shut up now sometimes and i'm sorry <laughs> no you're fine that's why i want you here right i know a good yeah. show for good show for me means i don't talk oh. <laughs> i know that's counterintuitive to some hosts but to me it's like i brought you here to kind of just guide the conversation through all gotcha. of this um you know you, you mentioned that crowbar character and years ago like i should remember this i had a uh, eugene nick dismore on the show and we talked about his yeah. character which um is kind of, it's different when you see his character and then you get the chance to talk to him because he's well-spoken and, you know, you, you have this picture sure. of him for all those years, but then you have this other thing. So do you ever run into that kind of battle where somebody knows you from one of those those shows and expects you to be something different than you actually are in person? I've done many interviews where I was told when it was done that this went, Totally not like I expected it to go. So uh, I, I I think a lot of people on some level see that character and they expect that crazy character a crowbar and uh, uh, not who Chris Ford is. You know, I I think I'm well rounded. I don't want to talk myself up too much, but because I'm also very much down to earth and I'm a big kid. I love uh, Star Wars. I'm probably the biggest kid going but uh if i'm needed to speak in a professional manner i'm able to yeah i mean nothing wrong with being a big kid i don't think i'm a huge kid man i look i still have not grown up yet and again i i think that's a huge part of being timeless <laughs> <laughs> you're do, doing good there so what, what were where was your favorite price to wrestle a uh Whatever. Uh, favorite place to wrestle. Uh, I, I love, like. I mean, I, I have to at least mention I uh, I had the opportunity to have a dark match at Madison Square Garden. You can't top that ever, ever, ever. But uh, one of my favorite places on the regular to wrestle, of course, would be ECW Arena, twenty three hundred. Yeah, was that, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, that was my kind of my heyday. Is that place as small as it seems? Uh, like, like everything was like on top of you. It's it's small, but I think bigger than a lot of independent venues. Like I don't know, I've I've had independent shows in VFW halls and American Legions and stuff like that. So it's 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 smaller than you know. Let's say a, a first union arena, if, if that's still there, or like a, uh, you know, someplace like that, or like a like the garden or something like that. But it's, I, I think, bigger as far as independent shows go. Just about the right size, I'm hearing, is what you're telling me. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously, you want to play the biggest stadiums and do WrestleMania and all this other stuff. But there's something to that smaller, more intimate. Oh, of course, and just the energy and the fan base there is just—they're, you know, back in the day, especially they, well, they were just nuts, and they gave you energy, and you wanted to give it back. They drove you to work harder, and you wanted to work harder. Uh, there was a take there, and uh, that crowd off often would make you a better performer than you normally would be, just because of the energy that they gave you if that makes sense well no because uh, as i mentioned i mean i was an ecw fan and to go to the same place every week and have those same fans they were part of rabid it. yeah they were part of it it's like WC, yeah. wwf excuse me wwe would move from city to city but those fans in philadelphia were as much as part of the show as the wrestlers were in, in the big time yep because Absolutely. they knew what was going on, and they knew who they wanted to win, and they'd let you know. And plus, 
I yep. hate to say this, but I'm from Pennsylvania, so I can. They're from Philadelphia, so they have yeah, a right. very vocal opinion. <laughs> super vocal, super <laughs> passionate. Passionate is the word. Super passionate fan base. So you've, we've mentioned Timeless a few times. Is that what's kind of left here for you? As I mean, obviously, you've got a few few more years in this, right? Well, that moniker came up somewhere over the 20 years. If I can't remember exactly where. I did a small stint from Ring of Honor at a, a taping in Baltimore, and I had gotten a booking from Jim Cornette, who, who did a lot for me in my career. He helped bring me in when WWE did the light heavyweight division. He managed me and my independent partner, Ace Darling, on many, many shows. And uh, he got me booked, and I showed up. I I was in decent shape, and he looked at me for a second, walked away, took a, a double, double take, and he goes, my goddamn fuck, the timeless Devin Storm. And that happened about, uh, I, I'm guessing, 2010, 20, 2011, and it always stuck in the back of my mind that, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. And fast forward to what I'm doing now. I, uh, whenever I do an independent show, I ask to work with the younger guys. Uh, I'm not a veteran that's going to phone it in or mail it in, whatever you call it. I, I friggin' enjoy this. I like going out there. I get a kick out of, I get a charge out of knowing that I could take all these guys' moves. I know how to base for them. I know how to do them. I could still do a lot of these moves myself. Uh, I've, you know, just from not having the wear and tear that a lot of guys had over the years, my body can still go. I, uh, you know, I can't say how many more years are left. I know that I can't say I feel freaking great. I know that there's a lot of talent out there that I could tear it up with. And uh, I'd be eager, I'd be eager to tear it up with. So uh, it's this timeless thing right now, this kind of cool gimmick we're doing right now, uh, and we'll see where it goes. You know, the business is on uh, strong grounds. My my physical therapy business. My kids are a little older, so that makes getting away a little easier. And uh, I don't know. We'll just see what God has in mind for me. You know, at at the very, very least, I'm the biggest fan going. And if and if all I do is do this on a local in in, in excuse me a local independent level for the next you know three, four, five, ten years, so be it. I'm gonna enjoy the hell out of myself. So we've got less than a minute left. So I've got to say I've got two things, and then I want to make sure you get a second here. Uh, that was the best uh, Jim Cornette impersonation I've heard ever uh, because I've been listening to him a lot just trying to keep I love the backstories all this stuff <laughs> first and thank you for coming he, to work at work he, he is responsible for timeless and uh, <laughs> I'm not even sure if he knows it I, I haven't spoken to him in years but I'm I'm not even sure if he knows that he's responsible for this so uh, Twitter YouTube anywhere else that we need to mention before I have to get out of here no I, I just do at WCW crowbar there's a link to some YouTube videos there. I don't load them up too much. And I have about an, as much time with to do Twitter and that's about it. Uh, so check out the Twitter and you'll know what's going on. You know, you'll pretty much know what's going on at WCW crowbar. I really don't have time for the Thank Instagram you for listening or to this episode of the, the other stuff. Stay yet, tuned so for details on saving money at the duck pond shop. Twitter right now. I hope you enjoyed this. I appreciate you immensely. Hey, we gotta go. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Leave us some stars or a review. For more notes from this show or other great shows, check out Mallard.com. A reminder, the views and opinions of the show are those of the host and guests and do not represent any sponsors, affiliates, or any other partners of the Mallard Report. Now for your money-saving tip. Promo code Mallard at checkout of DuckPondShop.com where you can get your t-shirt, coffee mug, and other great products. That's promo code Mallard at checkout, duckpawnshop.com. Until next week, stay safe and keep whacking.
You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.